Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to come and to listen to your word and to receive the things that you want to say. Lord, we know that you love us so much. We know that you loved us so much that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. We are forever grateful. We are forever grateful, Lord, for the work that you're doing and the way that you're moving and the blessings that you have shown us over the, the months and the years. So, Father, I pray this morning that you would continue to bless um, the, the word uh, as you have done as the blessing of the songs and that you would continue to speak that which has to be spoken. We thank you, Lord. I pray for your help, your strength, your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, if... Uh, if you can, open your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, we're going to look at just a, a few verses in this, in this passage and how God is, God is doing this incredible work in the lives of Christians. And, and sometimes it's tricky because we don't see what God is doing. You know, this is, the, this is the eye of faith that we live by. If I was to say to you, what's God doing in your heart? You know, you're, you would know by experience, but you probably wouldn't be able to fully comprehend what God is actually doing. You know, this is the eye of faith. But thank God that he's given us the word to describe to us what he actually is doing when things are really unclear and things can't be seen uh, in our lives. And this is a beautiful passage where, where Peter is talking to a group of people that are, that are dispersed, that are spread out, and he wants to encourage them. Though they are going through um, various trials of different kinds, he wants to encourage them. And, and though they may not be together, very similar to our experience, though, we, though they, they may not be together, he wants to encourage them to remind them that God hasn't left them. God hasn't forsaken them. God is still working a, a beautiful work in their life. And isn't that the eye of faith? Isn't the eye of faith, if, if you're feeling alone and, and, and you feel abandoned and you feel like you're, nobody's with you and you feel like you're, you're scattered and you're all over the place, to still believe that God is with you doing a perfect work in your life, isn't that the eye of faith? Isn't that faith that says that God is still doing a perfect work despite the circumstances around me. And I believe this, that this is what one of the things that Peter is trying to communicate to, to the church. Christians learn, learn a lot of things. They learn a lot of things as they grow in their faith. In fact, I believe Christians are, are, are best at doing certain things because of who they are as Christians, because they are the children of God. Let me explain what I mean. One of the things that I, I believe Christians do really, really well is that they, they learn the beauty or the art of reflection really, really well. You know, uh, Some people in life reflect. They do a lot of reflection because of circumstances in their life. But I guarantee any Christian who is serious about their walk, at some, not at some stage, sorry, regularly in their life, are in a place of reflection. They are reflecting about what's going on in their life. They're reflecting about their circumstances. They're reflecting on the Word. They're reflecting how the word is, is impacting their life or changing their life. They're in this place of reflection. And not everyone, we take it for granted that we do this, but not everyone does this. Not everyone is good at doing this. People just go through life like this race and they don't really, really ever stop to think, what am I doing? <laughs> like, is it, is it worth what I'm doing? Is, the, is this worth the time that I'm spending? Is this worth the time I'm investing in? And, and so Christians have this, this opportunity or this um, they develop this beautiful skill around, around reflecting on life. And it's no different to what the Scripture says. Listen to, what, listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 19. He says, let the words of my mouth, listen to what he prays to God. 
He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. What a beautiful word of reflection. Look at the psalmist when he says to God, God, I want to ask you something, God. God, please let my words, uh, let the words of my mouth and let the meditation of my heart, the things that people hear and the things that people don't even see, let it be acceptable in your sight. Let it be something that you are pleased with, Lord, because you're my redeemer. He's a man that was constantly reflecting, I believe, a man who was reflecting in his life and saying, God, I want to get this right. I don't want the words of my mouth and I don't want the meditation of my heart to be anything other than pleasing in your sight. That's got to be a reflection of someone who is constantly in a place where he's asking God to refine and to do the kinds of things that God needs to do in his life. Imagine, imagine being brave enough to pray what the psalmist prayed. You know, there's another thing that he prayed in, in Psalm 139. He says this, he goes, search me, O God. Try me, know my heart. I mean, that's a very brave prayer. I'm just wondering, when's the last time you, you have been brave enough to pray a prayer like this? Search me, oh God. I mean, are we, are we brave enough to pray this kind of prayer? Because what are we asking God to do? We're asking God to dig really deep in our lives and say, God, you know what? Stop looking, God, at the, I don't want you to look at the things that are external in my life. I want you to look deep in my heart. And if you see something in my heart that's not working right, that isn't, shouldn't be there, I want you to, to do what you've got to do to make me more like Jesus. That's a very, very brave prayer. But it's the prayer that we have to pray because what is God going to say? What is God going to say? Look, you know, because you don't pray it, I'm not going to do it. Well, God's going to work in you. If you're genuine, God's going to work in you. But imagine the child who comes to their father and says, Father, search me. You know, imagine the, the, the child who comes willingly to the father and says, do what you've got to do in me because I know you want to do it anyway. What a beautiful relationship. And so the psalmist is very, he's very uh, uh, um, brave in praying this kind of prayer. He says, search me, O God, and, and know my heart. Because God is interested again in what is going on in the outward boy, uh, in the inward. Boy, how, how beautiful it would be for us as Christians to come to a place, all Christians all over the world, to come to a place where they stop, they stop thinking about all the external things that they think makes them look good, sound, sound good, and, and be good. Imagine a place where the church can stop just stop thinking of these things. Imagine a place where the church, the kingdom of God, stopped worrying about all the external things that they think makes Christianity look good and start really focusing on what really matters, and that was what God is doing on the outside. Do you know there was a time when um, Sa um, Samuel, Samuel, the prophet Samuel, had to actually look for a king the first time. Sorry, no, the second time. He had to look for a king. And so he went to the house of Jesse. And Jesse was, was the father of seven sons by memory. And so the first son was Eliab and the last son was David. We know that the last son, David, was the son that became king. So here's Samuel looking at Eliab because he's the first son to come to him to perhaps anoint him as king. Now, again, humanly, what are we looking for? Humanly, we've got our own definitions of what makes a good preacher, what makes a good leader, what makes a good role model. We've got all these things humanly that we think are the things that we need to have in order to be the right person for God. You know, maybe they're very intelligent. Maybe they're very sociable. Maybe they're very um, relatable. Whatever, whatever we define ourselves to be good characters characteristics of a man of God. And that's fine. These characteristics are good. They're not bad characteristics to be relatable. It's not a bad characteristic to have 
wisdom about God's word. They're not bad characteristics. But imagine having the heart of God that is most interested and more interested in what's going on inside. Because, you know, I can show you one thing about myself. I can get up and preach and you can look at me and think, oh, wow, what a great preacher. Maybe not, I don't know. But, you know, you can think to yourself these things. But what God is not looking at what I'm saying this morning, he's looking and saying, what are you really, what do you really, really want and what are you really, really seeking in life? And how are you really, really coping in life? That's what God is, is most interested in. And so when, that, when Samuel looked at Eliab coming to him, it's like, it's like God could see in Samuel's heart this stirring about maybe Samuel was thinking, oh, Eliab, firstborn, he looks all right. He could do the job pretty well. It's almost like Eliab was entertaining, uh, Samuel was entertaining these thoughts in his mind. And, and Samuel, and God had to stop Samuel because he says to Samuel this, he says, do not look. Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man doesn't look at the outward appearance. Sorry, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's what God is interested in. So the next time you do a bit of self-reflection, don't reflect on how much you've achieved in life and don't reflect on how well you've, you think you've done in life. But think about this. Is your heart loyal and faithful to God? If nobody's watching, do you remain faithful? If nobody's applauding you, do you persist in the things of God? If nobody cares for you, do you still seek God because he's the one who's your greatest uh, treasure? He's the one that you are most, uh, is most precious to you, even if not, no one else seems to acknowledge this. And so this is what God is most interested in because I'll tell you a couple of things. These are a couple of things that I've learned over the years that I'll tell you. Passion, passion does not mean righteousness. Did you know that? It's very simple. You think, oh, that's pretty simple. But think about it for a moment. Just because someone's passionate for God and someone seems to be really on fire for God, it doesn't mean righteousness because I don't know what's going on in their heart. They're just passionate people. Maybe by nature they're passionate. I don't know. I'm not a passionate person by nature, but some people are passionate by nature, and that's great. They come to Christ, they're passionate. Fantastic. But it doesn't mean righteousness. It might mean righteousness, but it doesn't mean it. Just like intelligence doesn't mean holiness. Just because someone is intelligent and someone can communicate the truths of God and someone can articulate things and give a really good advice and give a really good counsel and someone asks them a question and they, and they are able to answer this, doesn't make them holy. doesn't make them. It doesn't matter what, what they know. We know that passion doesn't equate righteousness. We know intelligence doesn't equate holiness because God is looking at the heart. God is interested in what's going on deep within. And so if God is interested mostly in that, what do you think he's going to do every day of our lives? He's going to make sure that the very part of our life, the thing that's most precious to us, this thing called faith, he's going to keep building in our life even when we don't want it to be built. There you go. Even when we don't feel like we want it to be built. Lord, not today. I don't have it in me today. Even in those days, God's going to work what he needs to do because faith has to be nurtured. God knows that if he lets it go, your heart's going to go hard. So he has to do it. Even when we, for a season, would wish this season would go away, God has to do it. God has to do what he has to do because this is the work of God. 
He doesn't want us passionate. He wants us to be faithful to him. It's not passion that he's after. He's after faithfulness. He's after a holy heart. Because at the end of the day, you can have a form of godliness, the Bible says. You can look godly. But the Bible says you can deny the power. And and, and that's not going to achieve anything. You can deny the power within you, uh, the power that God has given us. But we can look really godly. We can speak really godly. uh, And we we can speak like good Christians. But when the trial comes, we act nothing like a Christian. See, when our children act in a certain way and we retaliate, we're not acting like Christ wants us to act. Or when our husbands or wives don't give us the, the, the affirmation or the, the care that we hope we would get and we act in a certain way, well, that's not what Christ is asking us for. See, the trial, the trial is the evidence of our faith. Do you understand? It's the, it's the trial. But it's the trial that is producing the faith. That's what's even more beautiful. It's the trial that's actually producing the faith because God is interested not in hurting us. God doesn't want to hurt us. God's not out to hurt us and make life hard for us. That's not the plan of God. The plan of God is to purify the faith that he has in us. And that's what I love about God. He's so intensely in love with us that he wants to purify this faith that he's he's given us and not let anything get in the way. So in his wisdom... He allows trials to happen. In his wisdom, he wants and needs trials to occur. What we run from, God is bringing. <laughs> it's, it's like, a, it's, like a, it's this, this contradiction. You know, we're running and God's bringing them. And that's why I say to people sometimes when they run from their problems, I say, you can run, but you're only going to have the same problem at another church. God's going to bring the same problem up again because you can't, it's not, you're not running you might be running from people, but you can't run from the problem because the problem is what God is trying to perfect in you. And so this is where, the faith, this is where faith has to come into, into play as for, as for Christians. And so, so, so genuine faith is what God is interested in. But we know that genuine faith only begins when there is genuine repentance and forgiveness. You can't have genuine faith if there's no forgiveness. You can't have genuine faith if there's no repentance. Genuine faith begins when there is genuine repentance and forgiveness. Have you ever thought about what repentance is and forgiveness? Have you thought about the idea that when someone comes to the Lord, they don't come to the Lord and just say, I'm sorry, God. That's not what repentance is. I don't know whether the world has made it like that today, but repentance isn't someone coming to God and saying, God, you know, okay, I messed up. You caught me out. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. That's not repentance. Repentance is be able to come to God with a genuine heart that says, God, no more, no more to this world and all its ways, but now I'm all yours. I want to forsake all the things that I used to do that offended you, and now I want to live for you. This is repentance. It says, God, I'm done. I'm done with my sin, and I'm done with this world. I'm for you now. I'm yours. And when there's repentance, genuine repentance and genuine um, uh, forgiveness, then you're going to see genuine faith. And I'm saddened because I believe that the churches today all over the world are filled with just people who are sorry for their sin. They're sorry. They're not not sorry. They're sorry for their sin, but they're not done with their sin. 
They're not done with it. And they'll go back and they'll say sorry again. They'll go back and they'll say sorry again. But to be done with your sin is repentance. And God is, God is wanting this. God is wanting to do this in his heart, in our hearts. Listen to this verse. The Bible says, whoever covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So this is true forgiveness. This is true forgiveness. The man who, who um, confesses and forsakes his sin. Not just someone who says, I'm sorry, God, or I'm really sorry, God. The one who confesses and forsakes his sin is the one who has mercy. Because God sees in this man, this woman, someone who's done, he's, he's, he's over it. He's, he's had enough. Now, he's, he even looks at this man and this woman and says, I, I don't even know. If, God knows that you, I know you can't even do it. I, I know you can't even get out of your sin. But the fact that you are done with it is where my hand comes out to help you. And this is God at work. This is the beautiful God who works his ways in the lives of his people. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, God is reminding them of this genuine faith. God is reminding them of how much this faith is very, very significant to who they are as people. And I want to read just verses 1 to 9, and then I just want to share very briefly some, some thoughts and some ideas with you when it comes to this passage, when it comes to God working his beautiful work in the life of his people. It says here, verse 1, Peter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials." that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls." What a marvelous passage. If you're in the midst of a heavy trial, if you're in the midst of a place, if you're in a place where you don't want to be, this is for you, clearly, clearly for you. If you're in a place where you think, God, I could do it better, I could work it out better, I know what, what I need more, <laughs> this is for you. Because this is God's reminding us of some beautiful truth. What you want to run from, I need you to have because I want to perfect your faith. I want to bring out the genuineness of your faith. I want to show you and the world what faith looks like. This is what I'm doing in you. Isn't that, isn't that not love? Imagine God looking at his people and saying, I know what you need, but I'm not going to give it to you. That's cruel. But imagine a God who says, I know what you need, 
I'm going to allow you, though it would be a time of suffering, I'm going to allow you to bring the best out of you. The beautiful picture of that, the most beautiful picture of that is Jesus on the cross. The father had to look at his son, and in the looking of his son, he saw the pain of his son, and he saw his son suffering, and yet it brought the best out of his son and for the world. And this is, a, this, is what God is, this is what's being replicated here. This is what's being reflected in this passage, this beautiful image of God doing what he has to do in the lives of his people to bring the best, the best out of them. I want to ask you, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this passage, but I want to ask you some questions to think about because think about what God has been doing in the last seven months during lockdown. What's God been doing in your life? You know, for most of us in the church, the last... One of the last few times we all gathered together was the end of March or middle of March, something. Yep. So that's a long time ago. That's like maybe seven, eight months ago now. But if you remember, if you go back, something happened this year that you might think like you might have forgot even happened for most of you in this church, and that is we, we had a church camp back in March. Now, if you scratch your head for a moment, you think to yourself, okay, yeah, that was the church camp uh, up in Anglesey, you know. Um, what was the theme? You know, look back, you think, wow, seven months ago, eight months ago, it feels like two years now ago. But this whole idea of what was this theme back in March, and as you're starting to race now and you start to think in your head, you know, what was the theme, what was the theme? You know, if I was to pause the camera and ask someone in the church, what's the theme? You start, you start to panic a bit, what was the theme? Because, you know, there's so much has gone on in the seven months. Let me remind you what the theme was. The theme was, who am I? Who am I? And you know, at this camp, we heard a lot of beautiful truths about this idea of you, who am I? Some of you remember the, the idea of the, the analogy of the, 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 the caterpillar becoming the butterfly. But there's something that I said in that camp. You may or might not remember. I said this to you. I said, God has called us from a miserable position and transformed us to be true image bearers. God has, God has called us from a miserable position. I don't care who you were and what you were before you became a Christian. I don't care how much you earned and where you worked and where you lived and what house and what postcode you had. I don't care at all. God called you from a miserable position because if he didn't, he didn't call you at all. Because this is faith. This is repentance. But what he gave you from was a miserable position to become true image bearers. In other words, God created you in his image right from the beginning of time. And if you are, listen carefully to this really important truth. If today you are in the midst of the worst sin ever, you're still an image bearer of God. You're still God's image bearer. You're created in his image. But God has called you to become and reflect what this image bearer is. You're just not seeing it. No one's seeing it. You're, you're in the darkness and the depth of your, your bad ways, your old ways. So you're not going to see anything like this. So God has called you out of a miserable position to be tr genuine, true, transformed image, image bearer. So I want to ask you over the last seven, eight months, let me ask you these very simple questions. What are you proud of of what you've done? What are you proud of? Now you, got, you, you can look back. As things are, lockdown's easing, restrictions are easing, what are you proud of over the last eight months of what you've done? And then let's flip it. What are you ashamed of? What are you proud of? 
What are you ashamed of? What about this? What do you, what do you feel like you've accomplished over the last... Because I'm sure you've accomplished... There's people that have accomplished great things. What do you feel like you've accomplished? What do you feel like you've let yourself down in? What about this one? Who have you drawn closer to over the last eight months? And who have you drawn further away from? Because think about these things, because at the end of the day, a lockdown doesn't change what God does. You've heard me say this again and again and again. God hasn't stopped working. And so who have you drawn closer to? Who have you drawn further away from? What are you ashamed of? What are you proud of? What have you accomplished? What have you felt like you failed in? At the end of the day, what you need to ask yourself above all these questions is, is God, when he's worked in your heart, what is most precious to God, and that is your faith, is your faith in a better place? Is it in a better place? Because what God is saying here very clearly to the dispersed Christians is that, yes, you have been scattered, and that's what our experience has been. You've been scattered. You've been apart. Some have been in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, different parts of Melbourne and the world. You've been, you've been scattered, but God hasn't stopped working. God has not stopped working. And in this time, your faith, though you be scattered and though you be experiencing certain trials, God is doing something in order to perfect the faith that he has for you, to do something that he knows is most significant for you, and that's to bring your faith to a place of true image bearing. Listen, I want to go to, I want to go to um, verse 6, just to highlight verse 6 and 7. It says, in this, you greatly rejoice. You greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Okay? I want you to think about four ideas in this verse, just four very simple ideas in this verse. A time to rejoice, a time that is brief, yeah, a time that is necessary, and a time of grief. Okay, I want you to think about those four things in that one verse. What Peter is communicating to his church is very, very simple. You're scattered abroad. You're in different places. God hasn't forsaken you because he says, you know, you've been brought to a living hope. You've got an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled. It's reserved. Verse 5, it's kept, you're kept by the power of God. He goes, God is looking out for you. God is completely looking out for you. You're even kept, verse 5, by the power of God through faith. God's got this. God's holding this. God's making sure that not a single thing is happening in your life without his permission because God is keeping you by, the, by his power. And if God let go for a moment, you're gone. That's the assurance of a father. If the father let go for a moment, you are lost. Forget it. You can't continue. You will not have the ability to continue if God took his hand off for a moment. But the Bible says you're kept by the power of God through faith. How good is God that he knows that if he turned his head for a moment, you're, you're gone. You're going to be destroyed. So he keeps you by the power of God. He keeps you through faith unto salvation. But he says, so remember this. 
You've got a place reserved in heaven for you that's undefiled, that's, that's, that's never going to go away. You've got a God who's looking out for you that's always going to keep you by his power. He's never going to go away. But now for a season, now for a season, something's happening because what is most precious to God, that is your faith, is being perfected. And he says this, there's a time to rejoice. In this, you greatly rejoice. In everything I just shared with you. There is a time that is brief. He says, though now for a little while. Isn't that an interesting phrase? I don't know about you. Has anyone here ever been through a trial before? I don't know. Have you ever been through a trial? I don't know. Maybe not. I've been through stacks in my Christian walk. I've been through more, through more trials than I wish I had. Okay? I don't know about you, but sometimes the trials in my life don't seem like a little while. Sometimes the trials in my life seem it's the furthest, a little while is not the way I would describe them. Yep. Uh, they seem really, really long. They seem really, really long. And I can only imagine what God is trying to communicate here. And I don't think God's trying to say this particular trial is short because, you know, I'm just going to give you a day or a few days or a few weeks. I think what God is trying to communicate here is the, is the, the, um, the significance of the trial in light of, in light of eternity. The significance of this trial, despite what it is, the intensity and the difficulty and how much you wish you could just get rid of it and run away from this trial. God's saying, I want you to think about something. Yes, remember, because remember God's just been speaking about how we've got this incredible home in heaven that's undefiled and incorruptible. And he says, and, though, and you rejoice in all this, but now for, now for a, a little while, just for a little while, this time is a time of rejoicing, but this time is a time that's brief. Imagine if we could look at our trials, if we could remember this during our trial. He goes, now a time that's brief. And then he says something that's really interesting that's easily missed in this verse. He says, for a little while, if need be. It's a really interesting phrase. It's, it's like it's a time of rejoicing, a time that's brief, but a time that's necessary. If need be. Almost suggests to me when God doesn't have to do it, he doesn't do it. It's not like God's out to make life hard. It's not like God's saying, okay, finish with that trial. What's the next one now for this person? What God is communicating like a good father. He says, there are going to be times in your life. There will be times in your life where I see where you're at and what's happening in your life, and it is necessary at this time to allow this particular thing because what is most precious in your life is at risk of somehow being affected, and I want to perfect it. Wow, God, you do it because it's necessary? You do it because you really care that much that you're interested in every single part of my life every single day? You're really that concerned about me? Of course I am. I died for you. But what about the billions of people around the world? Yeah, but I, I look at you. I look at you like you're the only one. This is the, this is the heart of God. This is the heart of God. And so God is saying, God is, God is reminding us that, yes, we rejoice, but there's a time where it's brief, a time that's necessary. And this is the word we all don't like, a time we grieve. 
If need be, if need be, he says, you have been grieved by various trials. And this is, this is the part that we wish didn't, we didn't have to experience. He goes, but if need be. But if we put this in perspective of everything that's going on, we begin to understand the heart of God who has this intense love for his people. He's able to understand that God is doing something because he wants to protect what is most precious, and that's our faith. And he says, you know what? There's going to be, I know you're rejoicing. I know you get the fact that God has all this in store for you, but now for a season, it's brief, it's necessary, you have to grieve. But if you look at the scriptures and you see all throughout the scriptures, often in this grief comes this joy. If you look at the scriptures and do a bit of a study around it, you'll see that, that often this joy is preceded by a time of grief. You know, joy comes in the morning and all sorts of things that are reflected in the idea that God allows a time and in that time we as Christians, not the world, not the world, Okay, because their grief, their grief can bring about death. But for the Christian, the grief is able, is a, there is a confidence that it's bringing about a perfected faith. So I hold on, Lord. I hold on because you're a God and a Father that doesn't forsake his people, but rather has deliberately and intentionally orchestrated things so that my faith is perfected and I become in a better place as a Christian. Wow, that's crazy. How much? Who, who loves me that much? Who loves me that much to, to do that? Who loves me that much that, that, the, that, that, would, um, that would wound faithfully? rather than an enemy whose kisses are deceitful, but rather faithful of the wounds of a friend. Who loves me that much that would actually, that would actually invest so much into my life to make sure that my faith, it does nothing other than, nothing other than be perfected? Because you realise since lockdown till now, there's absolutely no way in the world you have stayed the same. You realise that, yeah? There's no way in the world you have stayed the same. Anyone who says to me, yeah, lockdown, whew, I'm the same. There's no way in the world that's happened. You're human. You cannot be the same. Either you have drawn closer to God or you have drawn further away from him. That's it. Let's keep it simple. And I pray and trust that through this trial, you've clung to the Lord and you've, you've held and he's perfected you. If you haven't, consider this the day of your trial that God wants to perfect his faith in you and he was going to, going to do this in you. You need to hold on. God is perfecting the faith in you. And so he says in verse 7, Wonderfully, he says that the genuineness of your faith, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, we know what that feels like, may be found to praise and honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but when all is said and done, when all is said and done, I know in the depth of my heart Despite the pain of trial, I know in the depths of my heart, what I want is a faith that is found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine someone looking at your faith and saying, oh, there's a faith of honour. There's a faith of praise. That's a faith that's praiseworthy. There's a faith that honours, glorifies God. 
That's, that's faith. But I know to get there, there will be a time of testing by fire so that the genuineness of my faith, it is, you know, we know what, what happens with fire and gold. There is a purification that takes place. And here, these, we, uh, we have something that's more precious than gold that is found to praise and honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as Peter spoke to the church, he's speaking to a people, reminding them, yes, they're scattered, but God hasn't stopped working. Yes, they're in trial, but God is perfecting. God is doing what is most precious, and that is to work in their hearts, to bring about in them what God is most concerned about, and that is their faith. Make this the most precious thing for you. And if you are in a trial at the moment, consider, because it is most precious to you, God is perfecting this. God is working this. God is moving in a way to make sure and to ensure your faith is where it needs to be. And that's the amazing love of Christ. Let me pray for us. Let's pray together. Ask the Lord to bless his word as we uh, listen, as we receive, and take what that which the Lord has to, has to say to us this morning, what's, what he wants to say. Father in heaven, Lord God, you are full of grace and truth, Lord. We don't understand, we cannot comprehend all that is going on, but we live by faith. We live by faith, Lord Jesus, and we believe that you're a God who continues to work, though we be apart for a season, and dispersed, you're a God who sees everything that's going on and you're perfecting our faith. Thank you for your incredible love toward us. May we continue to believe and to hold on to these truths and never let go. Give us the strength to do this, Lord, and the courage to do this as well. In Jesus' name, amen.